0: Okay, I uh, have been talking a lot on Sunday mornings about the Samaritans, and uh, you know there's a lot in the Bible about Samaria, and uh, most of us don't know much about them, and so I thought tonight we would do a marathon thing, so turn to Second uh, Kings chapter 17, and we're going to see what the... What the whole thing, what was the difficulty between the Jews and the Samaritans in the days of Jesus? Where is Samaria? You can see on the map up there where it is located. And uh, it's not a region or anything that really is made reference to today. A lot of it is in the Palestinian area of the uh, West Bank that you hear about uh, from time to time. But uh, as I started thinking about this, uh, there's a history that is kind of given to us, and we're just going to, since there's so many verses in here, we're just going to make a point and then read some of the scripture uh, out of here. And so uh, we're going to look at verses 1 through 4 of Second Kings chapter 17, and we're going to talk about Samaria in the Old Testament. And the Bible says, beginning in verse 1, In the twelfth year of Ahaz, king of Judah, Hoshea, the son of Elah, became king of Israel in Samaria. And he reigned nine years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, but not as the kings of Israel who were before him. In other words, not quite as bad as them, but still bad. Okay, Uh, Look at verse 3. Uh, Shalmaneser, the king of Assyria, came up against him, and Hoshea became his vassal. In other words, he became subservient to this foreign king and uh, paid tribute to him. And that doesn't mean just making an oath to serve him, but giving him money and that type of thing. And it said he paid him tribute money, verse 4 and the king of Assyria. "...uncovered a conspiracy by Hosea." A little covert action here. "...for he had sent messengers to sow king of Egypt, Pharaoh, and brought no tribute to the king of Assyria as he had done year by year." He stopped making his payments. This is kind of like if you were in uh, Brooklyn or something like that and you have a uh, visit from an Italian mobster guy... And he goes, uh, you know what, we can make sure that your restaurant is safe and taken care of and nobody vandalizes it for $1,500 a month. And you look at them and go, seriously, you think I'm going to pay you that? And uh, this guy goes, oh, it would be a shame to see this place burned down or something like that. This is what the king of Assyria is doing. Hoshea, I will protect you and you won't have anything to fear and my empire and my armies will watch over you, but you've got to pay me money and you've got to pay a fee. Well, Hoshea, like anybody, got tired of it and so he had a covert alliance with the Pharaoh in Egypt and then decided not to pay any money at all as he had done year by year. Think anybody's going to notice? You think the king of Assyria is going to, uh, just go on oh, you know seems like the budget's a little tight right now don't know why or do you think they're going to investigate and so it says he uncovered a conspiracy here and then we pick up in our uh, verses therefore the king of Assyria shut him up and bound him in prison so this king now is jailed by all of this and uh, this is where we start looking at this picture. Now you remember, after King David died, his son Solomon became king, and God prospered Solomon, and Israel prospered like never before. But this is where it gets a little confusing. Whenever we think about Israel and read about Israel and prophets to Israel in this part of the Old Testament, we think of the entire nation. But remember, under Solomon's son Rehoboam... Rehoboam talked to some of his uh, father Solomon's advisors and said, what do you think I should do? I'm a young king. I'm new at all of this king stuff. Uh, Give me some advice. And the old men that had served Solomon, they said, look, if you want to endear yourself to the people, cut their taxes. Solomon always had projects, a lot of building, a lot of prosperity too. But the tax rates were really high. Cut the taxes. You will endear the people to you. Well, Rehoboam was not a very smart guy. He talked to his peers who didn't know any more than he did. And they go, are you kidding? This is the time to lay the whip on their backs. This is the time to really get after it or they will never respect you. If you cut taxes, they're going to think that you are just a patsy and easy to manipulate. But if you really show them who's boss, they're going to respect you. So Rehoboam Basically tells the people, no, we're not cutting any taxes. We're not giving you any relief at all. In fact, if you think that my father was bad, I'm going to be like 10 or 20 times as bad as he is. Well, this caused a rebellion and the northern 10 tribes, there's only 12. But 10 tribes rebel and they set up their own nation. And in this part of the Old Testament, whenever you read about a prophet going to Israel, that's not the whole nation. That's those 10 tribes, those northern kingdom tribes that are above Jerusalem, above Judah, and uh, the southern kingdom, only two tribes, Judah. And Benjamin, Judah, and Benjamin, and uh, some of the Levites would be there because of the temple worship too. But the Levites didn't have any land, if you remember, and uh, they just were to work in the uh, in the temple and to keep that worship going on. Well, now you have two nations: a northern kingdom called Israel, a southern kingdom called Judah. Well, what do you do at Passover? What do you do when it's time to go down to Jerusalem? Jerusalem is now in a foreign country in a different land. And the king, Jeroboam, was in the northern kingdom. He didn't like all of the people still going down to the kingdom of Judah, to Jerusalem, to worship the Lord. I mean, they might, you know, uh, decide to stay down there. They might decide their loyalty is with the temple and with Jerusalem and all of that. And so he uh, made two golden calves. And he said, these are the gods that brought you out of the land of Egypt. And he set up idol worship to uh, substitute for the Jewish temple rituals and those kind of things. And that was to keep the people, keep them up here. And keep them doing what uh, they need to do. And if they need to worship, let, let them worship some idols. And this started a pattern in that northern kingdom of Israel of idolatry, 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 idolatry. And it was just a never-ending thing. They really uh, had a bad, bad time up there. And the capital of the northern Is- uh, kingdom of Israel was Samaria. Samaria was not considered bad in those days. It was not considered weird. The people in Samaria, they were just brothers and sisters you know, in Israel, they were all Jews, and they considered themselves to be the children of Abraham. And uh, the problem is, in that northern kingdom, starting with Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, I believe, uh, he started an idolatrous Uh, worship up there that just it it wasn't just a little and it wasn't just at certain times I mean it just spread and spread and spread and you remember when the Jews were brought up out of Egypt they said God said I'm going to give you the land of Canaan but don't start worshiping their gods Uh, you are to be separate and distinct and you follow the law ...that was given to you by Moses. Well, of course, neither one of these kingdoms did it. Judah didn't do it. And Israel didn't do it. And uh, Judah wasn't quite as bad. In fact, uh, when I counted up the kings of uh, Judah... ...there were eight of them that were good kings... ...but eleven, eleven of them were bad. This is the place where the temple is, folks. This is that southern kingdom. However, the northern kingdom, can you get any worse... Yeah, they had 19 kings, and all of them were evil. They kept having prophet after prophet after prophet coming to them. And uh, some of the prophets, some people, you've heard of all of these, but uh, we get a little bit mixed up as to who they were talking to and why they were talking to them. For example, uh, both kingdoms were warned, and uh, you've heard of Elijah? Remember his showdown on Mount Carmel where they took the prophets of Baal and they offered a sacrifice and Elijah offered a sacrifice that he drenched in the midst of a drought with water and fire came down and consumed his sacrifice and the prophets of Baal had nothing. That took place in the northern kingdom. He was a prophet to Israel, not to Judah. And other prophets that were to Israel, that wicked northern kingdom... Uh, Not only Elijah, but Elisha, his successor, Amos, and Jonah, and Hosea were sent to him. In uh, Judah, that southern kingdom, you'll find them prophesying, and uh, the prophets were Obadiah, Joel, um, Isaiah, Micah, Jeremiah, Zephaniah, uh, a lady named Huldah, uh, very rare to have a female prophet, and Nahum, and Habakkuk. Okay, so that kind of gives you a little bit of a setup where this came from Samaria was not just an invention of New Testament times in the time of Jesus it goes way way back in fact the northern kingdom was invaded by Assyria 721 years before Christ was born that's how far back this goes originally it was just a city later on after the Assyrians occupied it it became more of a region and it uh, remained that way until the time of Christ. So when Jesus and uh, his disciples and New Testament people talk about Samaritans, they're not talking about a single city. They're talking about a region that was uh, up in that area and it was between uh, Judah or Judea in the New Testament and Galilee where the Lord was from and you had this problem area of Samaria. They didn't get along with them. The Samaritans didn't like the Jews. The Jews didn't like the Samaritans. They had alternate scriptures and they had alternative places of worship and it just caused all kinds of conflict. But how in the world did they get to that point if they were fellow Jews, if they were fellow Hebrews, if they were just from different tribes, but of the same DNA as Abraham. It seems like they would get along. Well, something happened. Uh, This is where our marathon comes in, and I'm just going to say I will stumble over some of these names, and uh, please don't laugh, or I'll make you come up and do it publicly, because they're easy to pronounce in private. They're easy to pronounce when you're just reading through it. When you are actually trying to say those names, you can get your tang tangled, and your murds-wixed and all that kind of stuff. So don't worry about it. It's not an unknown tongue. It's mine. Okay? So uh, number two, their sin brought disaster. Okay? And this is speaking... A little bit about Judah, but mainly about that northern kingdom of Israel, the ten tribes, and Samaria, its capital city. This is the history that Jesus and his contemporaries all knew about Samaria and why they didn't like them. In fact, you'll notice as you read through the Bible, Jesus even called the Samaritans, not brothers, foreigners. When he healed the ten lepers and only one came back to say thank you. Did we not heal nine, Jesus said, and only one comes back to give glory to God and he is a foreigner? That kind of thing. That's why the Jews were shocked. A good Samaritan, we've heard that story so much we know what it's like. The Jews that Jesus was speaking to would have been shocked Not a Samaritan. A Samaritan wouldn't do anything like that. They're not even part of us. We don't even receive them or recognize them. And uh, they do not do that for us. They were hostile toward each other. Now here's why. Verse 5. Now the king of Assyria went throughout all the land and shut up to Samaria and besieged it For three years. Now besieging it means it was surrounded. The whole city was surrounded. And uh, yeah they had walls to keep the bad guys out. But when the bad guys are surrounding your walls. That means nothing comes out. And nothing goes in for three years. They're trying to starve them out. They're trying to get them to where they will finally throw open the gates. And say we give we surrender. Now they also in those days they would start piling up dirt around the wall and it would get higher and higher so that eventually uh, they did this at Masada by the way and it took the Romans three years to pile dirt up enough to get to the top of Masada so they could go in and invade it well that's what they would do in a place like uh, Samaria they would just start piling up the dirt until they could finally get up there and just walk up and then They're in the city. Now this is what's happening and you can read in the Old Testament about famine in there. And remember the uh, lepers that were at the gates and they were starving to death and they were dying. And they said, what have we got to lose? Let's go to the camp of the Assyrians. Either they kill us or they feed us, one of the two. And they went there and the Assyrians had been scattered by the Lord. And there was all kinds of food and everything like that. And the city had been besieged. ...for all of this time. These are very difficult times. Three years without any food coming into the city. Three years with uh, no way to go out and trade... ...or send any messages out or anything like that at all. Three years, if you can imagine. And it says in verse uh, 6... In the ninth year of Hosea, the king of Assyria took Samaria... And carried Israel, the northern kingdom, those ten tribes, carried them away, exiled them in other words, to Assyria and placed them in Hala and by the uh, Habor, the river of Kozan and in uh, the cities of the Medes. And the Medes were gaining power at that time in the Medo-Persian Empire. You'll read about in history later on. Well, this is before they allied with the Persians. So all of these people, all of these Jews, these ten tribes, are scattered among all of these other nations. Verse 7, "...for so it was that the children of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God, who had brought them up out of the land of Egypt from under the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and they feared other gods, notice that's a little g, false gods, and had walked in the statutes of the nations whom the Lord had cast out from before the children of Israel. Instead of overcoming the Canaanites, they allowed them to stay, and they started taking up their practices, in other words, and uh, whom the Lord had cast out from before the children of Israel and the kings of Israel, which they had made. And uh, also the children of Israel secretly did against the Lord their God things that were not right, and they built for themselves High places. Now, when we read in the high places, don't simply think mountains. It would include that. But these are the places where they would go up high to worship their false gods, okay? And uh, so, when it talks about, you make me like hinds feet on high places, that's actually not so much talking about, I'm going to be able to walk on mountains, but I will be able to trample out uh, false gods. And so, they did that in all of their cities from watchtowers, sometimes it was military that was up there, and a fortified city and a watching and, and able to watch for invaders. Makes sense to be up high. But they set up for themselves sacred pillars and wooden images on every high hill and under every green tree. And there they burned incense on all the high places like the nations whom the Lord had carried away before them. And they did wicked things, a lot of those were very sexual by the way, to provoke the Lord to anger for they served idols of which the Lord had said to them, you shall not do this thing. Yet the Lord testified against Israel, that northern kingdom, I'll keep reminding you of that, and against Judah, the southern kingdom, by all of his prophets, every seer, saying, Turn from your evil ways and keep my command. You know... uh, If the Lord just simply wanted to wipe them out, he never would have warned them. This is the mercy and the grace of God. Warning after warning after warning after warning after warning from all of those prophets that we mentioned before, both in the north and in the south. And he says, Turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statutes according to all the law, the law of Moses, which I commanded your fathers and which I sent to you by my servants, the prophets. In other words, I had no excuse. Now verse 14 says, Nevertheless, I hate that word. You read about this, and when you see nevertheless, it usually is indication of something bad. Nevertheless, they would not hear, but they stiffened their necks like the necks of their fathers who did not believe in the Lord their God. And they rejected his statutes and his covenant that he had made with their fathers and his testimonies which he had testified against them. In other words, they didn't believe God in the good things, the promises. They didn't believe God in his threats and warnings either. They just didn't care. They were just extremely apathetic. They were going to do what they were going to do and no one was going to change their mind. Uh, does that sound like any other nation you know? Let that sink in. They followed idols, became idolaters. They sold out to it. And went after the nations who were all around them. Concerning whom the Lord had charged them. That they should not be like them. Or do like them. So they left all the commandments of the Lord their God and made for themselves a molded image and two calves and made a wooden image and worshiped all the host of heaven. That's astrology, by the way. That's not good. And they served Baal. Baal was the god of weather and thunder and uh, agriculture and all of those type of things. Verse 17. And they caused their sons and their daughters To pass through the fire, practiced witchcraft and soothsaying, and sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord. In other words, they're going all the way with this. There was nothing holding them back at all. And uh, it said they did this to provoke him to anger. They didn't really believe he would do anything about it. And you know, so many times you see people that they do something that's wrong. nothing happened I guess it was okay I guess I can do more and instead of seeing the gracious patience of God uh, that he doesn't just automatically come down on you in discipline or judgment you tend to think oh well if I can get away with that if I can take one step that direction wonder what will happen if I take four wonder what will happen if I walk a mile in that direction and finally the Lord says enough so verse 18 "...therefore the Lord was very angry with Israel," again, the northern kingdom, "...and removed them from his sight. There was none left but the tribe of Judah alone," that southern kingdom. "...and also Judah did not keep the commandments of the Lord their God, but walked in the statutes of Israel, they lived like the northern kingdom." Which uh, they made, and the Lord rejected all the descendants of Israel, north and south, and afflicted them, and delivered them into the hand of the plunderers until he had cast them from his sight. So in 721, northern kingdom gone, taken over, exiled. And in 586 B.C., the temple is destroyed, the walls of Jerusalem are knocked down, and the brightest and the best of the, of the southern kingdom are taken away to Babylon. Okay? So the land is desolate, and uh, the worship of God is not going on the way that it should have. And it says in verse 21, For he tore Israel, those ten tribes, From the house of David. David was from the tribe of Judah. And David had united the kingdom. Now it's ripped apart. And they made Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, king. Then Jeroboam drove Israel, that northern kingdom, from following the Lord and made them commit a great sin. Verse 22. For the children of Israel walked in all the sins of Jeroboam. In other words, it wasn't just the king who was evil. The uh, people of Israel, the ten tribes, they went right along with it, uh, which he did. And they did not depart from them until the Lord removed Israel out of his sight, as he had said by all of his servants, the prophets. So Israel was carried away from their own land, To Assyria as it is to this day. So, when the writer of this book is putting all of this down, there has been no restoration of that northern kingdom. You remember in the southern kingdom in Judah, when we uh, read in the uh, latter part of the Old Testament, those Jews came back. And they rebuilt the temple. Remember Zerubbabel and all of that? They laid the foundation of the temple and they rejoiced over all of that. And then they waited another 16 years before they rebuilt it. But they did rebuild it. And the reason that the people that are descendants of Abraham are called Jews, that started after they returned back to this land. It's short for the tribe of Judah. Judah, And they became known as the Jews. Before then, they'd been known as Israelites. They'd been known as Hebrews. Now they're known as Jews. And in the New Testament, they're referred to as Jews. And even to this day, we talk about the Jews. Because Judah came back. The other tribes did not come back. In fact, those ten tribes that made up the nation of Israel that was so incredibly wicked are called the Lost Tribes of Israel. We have no idea. We don't know where the tribe of Dan is. We don't know where the tribe of Asher is. Uh, We don't know any of those kind of things. They basically were taken off into exile and uh, they were assimilated into all of the cultures and the countries into uh, which they went. And so we find Jews in some strange areas, Ireland and different places like that, and that's because of all of that Dispersion, But there was one group that came back and they were identified as the uh, tribe of Judah and included the little tribe of Benjamin as well. And uh, they rebuilt the temple and uh, we find that, that things were uh, still there in the day of Jesus. And Jesus was from the tribe of Judah and um, those other tribes are just gone. Okay, Number three, Assyria the dominant empire there, does something to Samaria. And this is where the big rub was that carried over into the uh, time of Jesus. Assyria resettles Samaria. In other words, it wasn't enough that they just took the people out. They started putting people in. And what kind of people do you suppose that Assyria would put back into that northern kingdom of Israel? the region that would be known as Samaria? Well, let's find out. They're not good people. Verse 24. Then the king of Assyria brought people from Babylon. Oh, well, that's not good. Kuthah and Ava and Hamath and from uh, Sopharvaim and placed them in the cities of Samaria. Now, we see it being more of a region And uh, these different cities in here are now inhabited by the foreigners that are here. And so they spoke a different language, they had a different culture, and most of all they worshipped different gods. Now it's interesting, when they came out of Egypt they were to displace the people of the land and they were to conquer it and serve the Lord on it. Now they have been displaced and then all of these foreign pagan people have been put in the land to dilute their religion, to dilute their culture. In other words, to make them easier to control by the uh, king of Assyria. And so uh, they did all of this to the children of Israel. And it says they took possession of Samaria and dwelt in its cities. And it was so at the beginning of their dwelling there that they did not fear the Lord. Well, surprise, surprise, right? And therefore, the Lord sent lions among them, which killed some of them. Well, what are we going to do with this? Our incantations and our charms and our idols are not protecting us, uh, so we've got to look somewhere else, okay? So here's what happened in verse 26. So they spoke to the king of Assyria, saying, The nations whom you have removed and placed in the cities of Samaria, do not know the rituals of the God of the land. Now remember, they believed in a multiplicity of God's polytheism, and they believed that each God inhabited a certain part of the earth, a certain nation. And if your nation was able to stand and be independent, your God was strong. If you were conquered, your God was weak. And so the idea here was, we conquered you guys, therefore your gods were nothing. Of course, they weren't serving the true living God anyway. Well, now when these lions come, they go, nothing else is working, something's going on. We must have offended the God that occupies this land. And so uh, we don't know the rituals of the God of the land, is what they say to the king. Therefore, he, the God of the land, has sent lions among them... And indeed, they are killing them because they do not know the rituals of the God of the land. He's offended. He's got his feelings hurt, in other words. Verse 27 says, Then the king of Assyria commanded, saying, Send there one of the priests whom you brought up from there, one of the Jewish priests, and let them go and dwell there in Samaria, and let him teach them... The rituals of the God of the land. That doesn't sound like revival. That doesn't sound like people heartfelt turning to the Lord. It just sounds like, oh, we've got to figure out a way so that God won't be ticked off at us and uh, add some of his rituals to what we're doing. And that's exactly what they did. They did not repent. They just added a little something to try to appease God and assuage his anger. Uh, Verse 28. Then one of the priests, whom they had carried away from Samaria, came and dwelt in Bethel and uh, taught them how they should fear the Lord. Okay, now again, we're not talking about a wholesale turning to the Lord like we saw with Nehemiah and Ezra and those kind of things in the southern kingdom when they came back. This is just, uh, well put it this way the pagan idolaters in Samaria now they just added a little Yahweh to their worship to try to ward off lions not because they loved God. Uh, Folks this is still kind of a problem a lot of people have gone to places like India where they have the Hindu religion and all kinds of gods and goddesses, and then they go in, in there and they preach Jesus. And in these big crusades, people by the thousands seem to be coming to Christ, so much so that back in the 70s, they said that it would only be a generation or two, and India would be a Christian nation. Well, that hadn't happened. You know why? Because Hinduism allows you to have a Jesus God in addition to all of your other gods. What are there, some 300 million gods? And uh, now just add a little Jesus to it. I mean, if, if 300 million gods are good, 300 million one will be just that much better. No real faith, no real repentance, no abandoning of anything else. And this is what happened in Samaria. This is where the big break came, the, happened between the Jews, remember the tribe of Judah the ones that came back from exile, and the Samaritans. The Jews, when they came back from Babylon and they started rebuilding the temple and reestablishing the life there, and they had this great revival where they gathered all together and they read from the law of God. Can you imagine going to a service where somebody read all the way from Genesis to Deuteronomy and the people were there with their children and they stood there and they responded with an amen every once in a while and Then the priest would go and explain what they had just heard. And uh, boy, they had revival because they were broken hearted because they realized that that 70 years of exile came because their forefathers did not obey the word of God. They left it, they set it aside. And now after 70 years, the remnant of Jews comes back and boy, they want to get it right this time. And for the... Jewish people themselves, the ones that returned, idolatry has never been a problem for them like it was before the exile. They learned their lesson, but the 10 lost tribes never heard from again. And uh, when they had trouble up there, and all of the foreigners said, Where are these lions coming from? somebody came up with the idea, Well, maybe we have offended the native God. That is here. And uh, let's try to figure it out. So they brought a priest in. He taught them some things, but they didn't repent. They didn't turn to the Lord. They didn't love the Lord. It was all done simply out of fear. Yahweh, God, was just simply a rabbit's foot, a lucky rabbit's foot. If we'll just stroke him the right way, he'll take the lions out. And this became the dominant way that the Samaritan people and the region of Samaria worship God they built their own temple they didn't go to Jerusalem like the mosaic law prescribed and they had their they didn't accept the Bible only the first five books of the Bible and they had their own versions of that and so the Jews saw them as being just complete apostates they've abandoned the Lord they've abandoned their people they've intermarried with the foreigners they worship foreign gods they're not even close to being Jews And that's why, as I said earlier, Jesus, even when he referred to them, he called them foreigners. They weren't a part of the land. They weren't a part of anything that is happening. Are you starting to see what's going on now? And so there's no love between these people. There's no love between the people of Samaria. Even back then, they're worshiping in weird ways. They're doing perverted, all kinds of perverted sexual things and worshiping false gods and involved in witchcraft, sacrificing their children, all of these things that would be absolutely reprehensible to Jews who were following the Mosaic law. And so all of this kind of stuff is going on. And so the rabbis had some strong language about this. And when they wrote about it, even in the time of Jesus, they said that uh, these people aren't even Jews. Their religion is nothing but superstition. And it is ignorant because they don't even accept but five books out of the Bible. Nothing from the prophets, nothing from the Psalms, nothing like that at all. Is this making sense? And so when you look at that, you can see this is deep-seated, several hundred years old division between the Samaritans who were mainly made up of foreigners and a few of the Jews that were left behind when they were exiled. But they didn't stay true. They didn't stay separate. They didn't worship the Lord. And when they did appear to worship the Lord, it was only, uh, let's call it for political reasons, that type of thing. It was for superstitious reasons. we got to get rid of these lions. Maybe we need to do something like this, but it wasn't heartfelt or anything like that at all. And so you can see that everything that the Jews did offended the Samaritans, and everything that the Samaritans did offended the Jews and this was a very very real uh, cultural division between these two people and these two groups and so it's very difficult to cross over those and that's why when Jesus said to the disciples in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 "Uh, go wait in Jerusalem and you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem in Judea in Samaria and then to the uttermost parts of the earth can you imagine what caused the biggest problem for the disciples and for other people and it was that Samaritan thing it's uh, one thing to go over and tell pagan idol worshipers in another part of the world that have never had anything to do with God. It's another thing. These people had it and they threw it away and they're spitting in the face of God and they're unclean and we don't want to be unclean by going into their land or touching anything that they touch. Why do we want those kind of people in our churches even? It was kind of a problem. In fact, when you read in the book of Acts what happened in Acts chapter 2, to the Jewish believers there in Jerusalem. The same thing happened to a group of Samaritans, and it just shocked everybody. Really? The Holy Spirit came upon them just like He did us, and uh, that's where I believe it was Philip had to make the case. Look, the Holy Spirit came upon them the same way that He came upon us. How can we deny them baptism and fellowship in the church? Big, big, big problem for them. And they didn't want to have anything to do with these people. And so uh, when we think about the Samaritans, uh, we think about them in Jesus' day, and they were just all mixed up. They were mixed up in terms of their heritage. Who's Who's your father? The Jews. It was very important. And they would even say to Jesus, we have Abraham for our father. But the Samaritans couldn't really say that, not for sure, because they were so mixed up with so many different other groups. Kind of like, you know, in America, we're the great melting pot, and so a lot of us don't know our heritage. At least we don't know it very well, and uh, that's the way the Samaritans were. And see, that was reprehensible to the Jews because they wanted to be able to trace their lineage all the way back to uh, Father Abraham. And we're Abraham's children and that type of thing. And they really stuck on that. That's why John the Baptist said to them, Don't say we're Abraham's children. God can raise up Abraham's children out of these stones. That's not a big deal to God. But it was a big deal to the Jews. And so when they looked at the Samaritans, they said, you're mixed up religiously, you're mixed up culturally, you're mixed up in your understanding of God, you're mixed up in the place you're supposed to worship, you're mixed up in all of the festivals that are commanded in the law of God, and we don't want anything to do with you. And they said, fine, we don't want anything to do with you either. And so when Jesus said, Be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem. That's more than just start here and then branch out and branch out and branch out. Jesus was calling for the witness of the gospel to cross over cultural and racial boundaries and uh, go to people that you hate. Go to people that hate you. Go to those people who uh, my father-in-law would have said something like this, that if your brain's on fire, they wouldn't pour water in your ear. Okay, that's the kind of... We're supposed to witness to everyone. And that was the point in there. It wasn't just a region. It was people that you hated and they hated you. You've got to love them enough to take the gospel to them. Let's start reading at verse 29. And it says, However, every nation continued to make gods of its own. All of those nations that were in Samaria, the foreigners, and put them in the shrines on the high places which the Samaritans had made, every nation in the cities where they dwelt. In other words, it's just spreading and spreading and spreading and spreading. And uh, it says, The men of Babylon made Sukkoth, uh, Benoth. The men of Kuth made Negal. And the men of Hamath made Asim- Ashma. sounds like asthma, doesn't it? And uh, the Avites made Nibaz and Tartak. And the Sepharites, they burned their children in fire to uh, a God whose whose name is very difficult to pronounce. And you can see all of these things that are going on down, down to verse 32. So they feared the Lord. Well, that's a strange statement after what he's just said. How do you fear the Lord and you do that? And that's my point. They feared the Lord, you could put that maybe in quotes, you know. Do you fear the Lord? Oh yeah, you fear the Lord, don't you? But they didn't live like it, they didn't act like it, and uh, they weren't doing anything that the Lord wanted them to do, except to try to keep the lions away, to try to keep him from doing something that would be destructive to them. And it said, and from every class, they appointed for themselves priests, of the high places who sacrificed for them in the shrines of the high places they feared the Lord and here's the explanation yet served their own gods so they had this feeling about Yahweh but they served the other gods you know anybody like that There are people that when it comes time for a funeral, all of a sudden they want a pastor. All of a sudden they want some magic words said over their loved one, but they don't serve the God that they claim to uh, want to have at their loved one's funeral service or at a wedding or any different thing like that. And think about how many politicians, they don't serve God, but they want Him mentioned in a superstitious way at their political rallies or at their inauguration or something like that. you know, the more things change, the more they remain the same. Human nature is the same. So they, they feared the Lord, and yet they served their own gods according to the rituals of the nations from among whom they were carried away. And then he goes on to say, this writer of Second Kings, to this day they continue practicing the former rituals They do not fear the Lord. Well, that's interesting because he just said that they did. Is there a contradiction here? And I think the explanation is they appeared to fear the Lord. They had a superstitious feeling about him, but they really didn't love him. And they really, if you think of fear as being the honor of the Lord, they didn't honor the Lord. And he goes on to say, nor do they follow their statutes or their ordinances or the law and the commandments, which the Lord had commanded the children of Jacob, whom he named Israel, uh, with uh, whom the Lord had made a covenant and charged them, saying, You shall not fear their gods, nor bow down to them, nor serve them, nor sacrifice to them, But the Lord who brought you up from the land of Egypt with great power and with an outstretched arm, him you shall fear and him you shall worship and to him you shall offer sacrifice. And the statutes and the ordinances, the law and the commandment which he wrote for you, you shall be careful to observe forever." And you shall not fear other gods. And the covenant that I have made with you, you shall not forget or overlook or bypass it or set it aside. Nor shall you fear other gods. But the Lord your God, you shall fear and he will deliver you from the hand of all your enemies. However, this guy wants us to get the point. They did not obey, but they followed Their former rituals. So these nations feared the Lord, yet served their carved images. Also their children and their children's children have continued doing as their fathers did even to this day. So what's the point? These people are wicked. These people have no love for God. I don't care if they have a temple at Mount Gerizim or not. I don't care if some of them do believe that some kind of a Messiah is going to come. They don't love the Lord. They don't fear the Lord. They're pagans at heart. And it's shown by the fruit of their lives. Jesus said, by their fruits you shall know them. Um, Here's something that I found that uh, comes from ancient times. When the Jews... The nation of Judah, in other words, when they came back from Babylonian exile, they were appalled and offended by the Samaritans. The Samaritans worshiped in ignorance, Jesus said in John chapter 4, the Samaritans accepted only the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, of the Old Testament. They rejected all of the rest of the Old Testament. Well, I wonder why. Because so much of the other ones are written by the prophets that are condemning them. So it's handy. Just throw all that away. So they therefore rejected all the great messages of the prophets and all the supreme devotion of the Psalms. And they had in fact... A truncated religion because they had a truncated Bible. In other words, like people do now, just ignore the parts you don't like. Just get rid of them. Just explain them away. Don't accept all of the Word of God. And they had rejected the knowledge that was open to them. And that they might uh, have had further, the Jewish rabbis had always charged that the Samaritans uh, with a merely superstitious worship of the true God. And they always said that the Samaritan worship was founded not on love and knowledge, but on ignorance and on fear. So when we look at the thing that is going on with the Samaritans, do you understand now why it was so weird for Jesus to be talking to a Samaritan woman? Do you also understand how loving it was for Jesus to cross into Samaria and to actually sit down at a well and to talk to a Samaritan woman and to share good news? I am the one that you are looking for, the Messiah that you're looking for. I am He. What a wonderful thing it is that so many were saved out of the Samaritans at Sychar and in the book of Acts uh, so how many Samaritans were saved? Because God is a God who doesn't just work in one race of people. He's a God who works in all kinds of people, in all nations of the earth. And He's also a God that can save anybody, anytime, anywhere, in a, uh, regardless of their heritage and regardless of what they've been involved in. These people, even the woman at the well, she was not just like a person who was, you know, pretty much like the Jews, just a little different. No. These people were idolaters, and these people openly worshipped false gods. These people openly did it, and then they just kind of held on to Yahweh just in case we might need him, and just in case he could do something for us. This was a big problem for the people in the New Testament and the people in Israel. And they looked at that, and they said, look, we were exiled too. Different time, but we were exiled too. And we remained true and we remained faithful and we came back into the land and we, we reinstituted everything. You know what you guys did? You intermarried with all the foreigners that the king of Assyria sent in here and then you started worshiping their gods and if that were not bad enough, you used Yahweh God as a superstitious rabbit's foot type thing, a lucky charm, a four-leaf clover in order to ward off some evil that you thought was coming along and the Jews would have said that's the worst thing of all because you have no reverence You have no honor. You don't see God as holy. You see him as a useful idiot for your purposes. And so the Jews said, have nothing to do with the Samaritans. However, Christ came and the Christian gospel said, go ye therefore into all the world and preach the gospel. And when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will be witnesses to me not only in Jerusalem, not only in Judea, but you're even going to go into Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth and when I think about most of us and our heritage and where uh, our pre-christian families were and our ancestors were worshiping idols doing all kinds of sexual immorality those kind of things Europe was just uh, covered with all of that kind of stuff before Christianity came to it and yet look at us we're gathered here tonight and as a result of the grace of god we've been liberated from our past liberated from our ancestors liberated from the pagan wicked cultures from which we came and tonight we give glory and we give honor to god not just because we're afraid boy if we don't something bad's going to happen to us but we do it because we actually know him and we love him and he has been kind to us he has been loving to us he has been gracious to us and he could have ignored us like so many parts of the world seem to be now. Billions of people who will never hear the name of Jesus. But you and I have been privileged to hear the name of Jesus, to hear the gospel, to receive the gospel, and now we're indwelt by the God that we used to hate. We are now indwelt by the God that our ancestors would spit in His face and then bow before something that they made. Do you see The grace of God and the redemptive power of God. How he liberates captives. He sets them free. He takes us out of the kingdom of darkness. Puts us in the kingdom of light. And uh, what a privilege it is to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And so whoever we look at, even if they are a quote-unquote Samaritan in our eyes. How are we to look at them? There but for the grace of God. What? Go I. And we should have compassion on them. And we are to obey the Lord Jesus Christ. To reach across all of the barriers. And all of the things that would offend us. And all of the things that shock us. To reach out to people. Because when you share the gospel with that person. That may be a person who trusts Christ. We don't know who they are. But God does. And he uses us to reach across some of these boundaries just like Jesus did. So when you go to a different place, a different neighborhood, talk to people of different religions, different races, different backgrounds, different cultures, different languages, what are you doing when you do that? Is it an exercise in futility? No. You're just being like Jesus, which is what we're all called to do. So let us do that, and let us, when we read the Bible and we understand what's going on, those people in the New Testament that didn't want anything to do with the Samaritans, they had some pretty good reasons for all of that, didn't they? But they weren't good enough reasons to exclude them from hearing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And for that, I praise the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, okay? Father, we uh, ask you to forgive us when we judge people. We don't know their hearts. And we don't know what the Spirit is doing in their hearts. We don't know if they're being drawn to the Lord. We don't know if the soil has been prepared. Jesus just told us we're to just scatter the seed. Now we know some of the seed is not going to fall on good soil. But some of it will. And that good soil may be a Samaritan kind of soil it may be an unlikely kind of soil it may be somebody that seems so far off we would never expect them to get saved but we don't know that because we don't have that knowledge only you do help us lord not to just pre-qualify and prejudge people and determine whether they would be a good christian or a bad christian or whether they would ever be saved or not that's not our call help us simply to be obedient to christ to love Jesus enough to share the gospel anytime, anywhere we go with anyone that we have an opportunity and trust you for the results that the seed might fall on good soil and bring forth fruit some 30, 60, 100 fold that your name might be glorified. And Lord, we want to remember to pray for missionaries. I think about Elizabeth that is uh, in France. And I think about people like that. I think about the Indian pastors that we have supported. And I think about the work that we have done in other countries. And supporting evangelists and missionaries. And Father, we pray that your word would go forth for your glory. Into the weirdest, strangest places. That your name might be glorified And uh, light might shine in darkness, which really is what Christmas is all about. So thank you for the gift of your Son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.